looking at the book of James. And if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn that to James. We've been talking about these battles, how to conquer conflict God's way. Now, I don't know how you came in here this morning. I don't know. You may have had a battle in the car on the drive here. Uh, I remember my, my dad, and it's on the way to church, and he would, my little brother and I would get in the back seat, and we would just act fools. And my daddy would always say, you know, don't make me pull this car over. And, and uh, well, you don't have to. You're a grown man. You can make that choice. But we would have these fights, and you're grounded, and shut up. And, I mean, all of these things and, uh, on the way to church. And it was by the time you walk into church, it's just like <laughs> these battles that happen. You may have had one last night with your wife or your husband. And whichever one of you that's listening to me right now, it, it was probably their fault, right? We have these conflicts that come in our life. And sometimes it's no result of anything that you have going on in your, that, that you've done. It's not a result of anything that's happened to you. The question is, we're in this battle. We're in this battle constant battle against the ways of the world as brothers and sisters in Christ we've been called to a higher standard of living we've been called to a different response in our living than non-Christians have and James is writing that with the, the the kind of the subtitle of this message today is consistent Christian living in the midst of trials and conflicts Consistent Christian living in the midst of trials and conflicts. It is really easy for me to be all Christian and holy when I got enough money. Or when all my health issues are great. It's when my, health, when my family is healthy and I've got plenty of money. You know, unlimited supply of fried chicken. My puppy doesn't chew on things. My kids are being just respectful. Yes, Father, no, Father. It's easy then for me to be this incredible Christian man. But how do we respond and how does our faith and our Christianity hold up and our dedication to Christ hold up when trials come, when hardships come, when these battles? See, as a Christian, I have been called to be not of this world. John 15, 19, Jesus says, hey, they hate me. Why won't they hate you? You are in this world, not of it. And because you are not of this world any longer, these conflicts and these battles are going to ar arise in our lives. We're looking at James. And today we're going to look at James chapter 1. And we're just going to look at Four quick verses right there. Go ahead and put those verses up on the screen. And, and I want to read through these first, and then we'll talk about them. And then we're just going to look at three words. You see if you can pick out the words as we read it, okay? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, <clears throat> when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this beautiful worship time that we've enjoyed this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us through your word and that you'll find us responsive, that you'll find us obedient to your direction concerning your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this book more than likely uh, in the, the 40s, uh, like 41, 42, right through there somewhere. So chronologically, the first book in the Bible, in the New Testament. Chronologically, first book in the New Testament. And he's writing uh, about these consistent Christian principles that we should live by. And who is he's writing? He says right away, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. What does that mean in the dispersion? Uh, how many of you saw the, the tornadoes on, uh, on, uh, that came through Oklahoma City last week? week before last, and Shepard Smith, I love watching him because Shepard Smith will just, you know, he just goes on and on, and I love it when he says, no, make that, you know, a whole screen, I can't see anything, I just love it the way he bosses the, the crew around, but he's telling them, okay, the tornado's coming, it's going to hit Oklahoma City, it's going to be about 30 minutes, you need to get out of town now, you need to run, you need to get out, go south, go north, don't go east, don't go west, get out of town, and you remember the, Fox News is showing this shot, and it's got all, you see all the headlights exiting the city, which became a very bad place to be, by the way, because there's huge traffic jams. Um, but you see these people fleeing Oklahoma City. That's what's happening here. These Jews who have embraced Christianity, who have grabbed hold of who it is that Jesus wants them to be. In Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 1, it said, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Imagine this. Somebody comes into Wichita, Kansas, and you, because of your faith, have to flee the city. Because you are so, your Christianity is so significant and such a detrimental uh, way of life and as such a, a threat to my current way of life that I'm going to round you up and I'm going to kill you because of your faith because your faith is so significant the impact of your faith of your relationship with Christ is making such a significant impact that you are targeted for death because of your faith and you have to flee the city that's what's happening here when Stephen was martyred, it was kind of game on. Game on against the Christians. Paul gave it the thumbs up, must be okay. And Christianity went like this. They fled. And that's who James is writing to. And he knows they need encouragement because imagine this. They're, they're running. They're leaving their way of life. They're leaving their family behind. They're leaving their job behind. They're leaving anything behind with any significance going into a foreign land where it's a pagan culture. They have no assets. They don't know anybody. It's not like they have family there they can run to. You're going into a, this unknown land because of your faith, totally dependent on Christ to take care of you. You don't have a job now because you left your way of life back there in Jerusalem, so you're probably poor. And James, the book of James talks about uh, wealth and rich people and how the rich people, some of them were taking advantage of these Christians. Your whole life is gone, whoop, turned upside down. That's who James is writing to. 
Their whole life has been turned upside down. And then more trials come. More stuff happens in their life. See, James is writing to these 12 tribes, these Jewish Christians that have been dispersed. But the Bible is true for what he said to them. It's called a timeless theological truth. What he said for them that's true is true for us today. The Bible has not lost one iota of its authority. The Bible has not changed because of cultural relevance. What he said to them transcends time, culture, race, socioeconomic levels. And what he says to them that's true, which all of it is, is relevant for us today. See, you may have came in here this morning and you may be going through some kind of trial that nobody else around you knows about. You may be having this, this marriage issue that nobody else knows about. You may have just been told this week of a health issue in your family with a spouse or maybe with yourself or even a child. You may be this morning looking afraid to go to work in the morning because you don't know if they're going to be handing out pink slips or not. Or what if my 401k dries up? You may have these trials and these, these fears and these battles that are going on in your life right now that are totally outside of your control. I remember uh, when my little brother called me and he said, man, I've got a brain tumor. And that's pretty much how he called and said it to me. He goes, hey, I need to tell you something. I went, what? He goes, hey, I just want to let you know I went to the doctor and I've got a massive brain tumor. I went, you could kind of ease me into that one, right? Well, here's a guy that's never smoked. A, I mean, he's got a brain tumor. He's lived a healthy life. And why has this happened? And that was my immediate response. God, why, why is this happening? Why is this occurring to me? Why me? Well, here's the, the, the answer that I've come up with after five years is, why not me? Why not you? Why not the trials in our life? We're all going to have trials. If you are a child of God, you are going to have a trial. You're going to have a test. You're going to have things happen in your life that for some reason, I just don't deserve this. And we're going to kind of focus in on that this morning. I hope you, you picked out those three words we're going to look at Look at. Uh, look in, in, uh, at the first word there. First word, joy, in verse 2. Consider it pure joy when trials come. That is not our normal way of thinking, is it? How many of you have ever lost a job in here? Just layoffs, a downturn in the aircraft industry? Or How many of you got in the car and went, Woo-hoo, praise God, I lost my job and got about three days' worth in the savings account? Anybody do that? No, that's not our normal response. That's not our normal joy. This is, and this comes from a word, it's called kara. It's from the same word as charismatic. This is not just like, woo, Razorbacks won. Yeah. This is like a charismatic, ongoing, all-encompassing 
this joy. I mean, this is not even like a joy when you have a child. I remember we were joyful when both of our children were born. But you know as well as I do, when they become teenagers and certain things start happening, that some of that joy goes away sometimes, doesn't it? There's times, okay, the, the lady, the insurance, the car insurance lady calls and says, I just wanted to inform you uh, because your child has totaled that car, your insurance for all of your vehicles is now $8,000 a month. <laughs> what? I am not joyful about my child at that moment. I love them and I care about them and I will not kill them because you can't. But Joy is not really one of the things I'm experiencing right now. Like kind of when they came out and you go, oh, and this is my opinion. If you don't like it, this is my opinion. I prefaced it with that. All newborn babies are just ugly. I don't, I mean, when they look at, when people see one and they go, oh, that's the most beautiful. No, not really. Not really. Most of them have the little cone heads and. Now, I'm talking about other people's babies, not mine. Mine were beautiful. But they come out and you just, there's something about, oh, there's a life, there's a, a person came out and we get to hold it and we have to take care of it. And I was so happy and this, this joy that just thrilled me. That's not the kind of joy they're talking about. The joy that James is writing says, consider it pure joy, complete joy, all-encompassing joy, enduring joy when these trials come. See, here, here's a better example. Gail called me this week, and uh, y'all know his grand, little grandkids, right? Roman, the little boy, he's so cute. They've just got the cutest grandkids in the world. And Roman has been talking with his mom and dad and asking about Jesus. And Gail texted me this week, and I was off site. And he goes, he goes, Roman has accepted Christ. He prayed at home to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I'm not kidding. I walk, I'm, I'm in my car, and yes, I was actually texting in my car, and I didn't pull over. Um, luckily, we didn't kill anybody. But I've got my phone in one hand and this hand in the air going, Woo! Driving down Kellogg. And Gail said, I'm in my office crying like a baby. I mean, just, just joy. It just rippled through the office. I text uh, his son, Josh, and Josh is just beaming. Why? Because this is an enduring joy. No matter what trials come into that little boy's life, because he's accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he will be able to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever, infinity ever and ever and ever. That is an enduring joy, this charismatic joy that we get to, to share with one another. How many of you in here would raise your hand today and be honest, say, I came in here with charismatic joy this morning? Eight people. And two of you is probably telling a story. Six people. Why don't we come to, to church that way? Why don't we walk in with this charismatic, see that word right there alone scares us, this all-encompassing joy that we get to come and we get to raise our, our voices and worship to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, because as by the blood of Jesus, I've been saved, I've been born again, I get to spend forever and ever in eternity with him. My sins have been forgiven because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and I am joyful about that. Why don't we come in that way? 
Because sometimes here it's not very joyful. Even in churches we have these battles and our joy is sucked away. See, the Christians that were being persecuted, that were literally being chased down, were being chased down because the non-Christian Jews knew that their Christianity would have a significant impact. We knew that it would be significant. Let me ask you this question. Is your way of life, is your Christian life worth chasing down because it has such a significant impact on the world around you? Or would anybody care if you fled? See, I'm afraid that most of the time, our Christianity and our consistent Christian living, the the world sees somebody just like themselves, and we really don't make that big of a significant impact on anybody. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's challenging us to do here. Consider it joy because your faith is so significant that it's going to change the world. So consider it joy, charismatic, complete, all-encompassing joy when trials come. See, we, we take trials when uh, we, we're joyful when good things happen. We have a baby. I found 20 bucks on the parking lot. Um, you know, fill in the blank. Our football team won. I mean, we're joyful when things happen. And James goes totally against that and says, okay, don't consider it when good things happen. You consider it joy, charismatic, all-encompassing joy when those things outside of your control have happened. An enduring joy, something that lasts, and a complete joy. Consider it. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. They were undergoing significant persecution, significant trials in their life. No, due due to nothing within their control. Let's look at the next word. Trial, it's actually two words. Trials and testing. Trials and testing. This word here, trials, it's it's something outside of your control. Persecution or things outside of your control. I have no control of what happened. Uh, You're the stellar employee, and you've always got raises, and your merit stuff is always, your evaluations have always been good, and all of a sudden, your boss walks in and hands you the pink slip. Totally uh, totally outside of your control. Had nothing to do with it. Totally, the doctor comes in and you've never smoked, drank, or lived a bad lifestyle. You've always eaten well and exercised. And now all of a sudden, you've been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Situation totally outside of your control. A trial. An opportunity to express joy. That's what James says. Here's an opportunity for you to be charismatically joyful joyful outside of your control totally outside and look at the word testing here's the purpose of a test a test will reveal the current level of understanding or condition a test is used to reveal your current level of understanding or condition if it's a math test why do we have math tests to reveal your current level of understanding of math why do we have medical tests to, cons- to reveal our current condition or current uh, 
medical condition. A faith test is designed by God to, de- to reveal your current faith condition. Is this so God can see how strong your faith is? No. God knows how strong your faith is. This is designed for you to see how strong your faith is. God already knows everything about you. Tests scare us too. I was at the uh, DMV uh, this Friday uh, getting my little license thing right there. And I am pretty sure if you don't know Jesus, I'm, I know that you go to hell when you die. But I'm pretty sure you stop off at the DMV and spend some time. <laughs> it's terrible there. It is terrible there. Um, and, and I, I, boy, you talk about a, a place filled with no joy. Uh, no joy. There is no joy in there. Nobody's happy to be there. Nobody was walking in going, I'm so happy I get to wait for four, four hours. Um, that's terrible. But there's this little girl. I got there at 5.30 because I thought, okay, I went the day before, and they go, sorry, we're booked for the day. What do you mean? It's 1 o'clock. You're booked for the day. We're booked for the day. So I need to stay around. Well, you can hang around and wait. And I went, oh, in the hope that y'all go faster. No, I don't see that happening. So I'll come back early. They opened at 7. I was there at 5.30 in the morning. And there was already a lady in front of me. I went, what time did you get here? She said, I spent the night. No. But her little girl was there, and the little girl was, I mean, she was chewing on her fingers like there was a contest, and the winner was whoever got the first knuckle off first, the fastest. I mean, she was just chewing, and, and, just, and I thought, well, what is wrong with her? And I said, are you okay? And she said, well, I'm taking my driver's test today. I said, well, are you scared? She said, uh-huh. I said, really? Is that your real voice? <laughs> I said, well, did you study? And she goes, uh-huh. And her mom's kind of looking, not really saying anything. I said, well, why are you so nervous? Why are you so scared? What's the big deal? I've seen a, a, a people a whole lot dumber looking than you driving. And she, y'all know that's true. And she said, well, I said, you studied. You're ready to go. And her mother looks at me and she said, she has test anxiety. I went, What's that? Is that something you can get a pill for now or test anxiety? Well, she knows all the answers, but she gets in there and all the answers leave her. I went, where was that when I was growing up? I could have used that on my dad. You know, I, dad, I've got test anxiety. I know all the answers. I just can't remember them at test time. And then I got talking, well, what are you worried about if you've got, you know, if you, and I'm thinking about this, and it's funny how God will put people in your life showing you what you're studying. And um, I said, well, if you know all these answers, just take a big deep breath. And, and we got talking a few minutes, and she finally said, well, maybe I hadn't really studied that much. And her mother's head almost just snapped on a swivel because this woman spent the night at the DMV. And now her daughter's informed her that I have not studied as much as I said I have. And I thought, whoops, this is where I back out. But how, how is that so much like, you know, these tests come and we fail miserably. We, we get this test anxiety because our faith is so weak at times. That we're just afraid of a trial. We're afraid of a test. We're afraid of our current level of understanding to be revealed. 
because of this test, because of this trial that's coming up. And one of the things that, that I want you to see, uh, when, when gold, I, I don't know if y'all watch much TV. I don't really watch a lot, but I've got a few shows that I really like. And I love that show, Pawn Stars. And I don't know why Sam and I have always loved going to pawn shops from the time he was little. I just like going to pawn shops and looking around. And there's many Saturdays that Sam and I will go and we'll spend five or six hours looking in pawn shops. And hardly ever do we buy anything. It's just fun looking at the junk. Uh, and then the best show in the world came on, Pawn Stars. And all it is is a show about this pawn shop and people bring in stuff and then the guy goes, yeah, it's worth something or no, it's not worth something. And then they negotiate the price and that's pretty much the whole show right there every week, every time. That's the show. Uh, you've seen it once. You're not missing a plot or anything. That's it. But when people bring in gold, here's what they do. They'll, they'll rub off some of the gold on this little stone looking thing and then they'll drop acid on it this nitric acid I think it is and if it's real gold it changes colors it comes this bubbly little creamy color they test it for authenticity of the gold and the gold totally destroys the little piece of gold that they rubbed off on there the little remnants of the gold are totally destroyed by that acid See, God brings trials and tests into your life so the purity of your faith can be revealed. He brings these trials and tests so that your faith, the strength and the maturity of this faith, it's not always a battle. It's God saying, I'm going to let you have this opportunity in your life to see how strong your faith is. Out of no no wrongdoing you've done, nothing that, that you've done that's resulted in this. I'm just going to let you see how strong your faith is. And James is saying the way we need to respond to those is joy, joyful. What's our response most often? We get on the phone, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, but we start whining. We may call it a prayer meeting sometimes, but... It's like, I need you to pray for me, blah, 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 blah. How many times do we call somebody and go, hot diggity dog, I just wanted to tell you, I'm over here having some charismatic joy in my house right now because I just lost my, my job, my car won't start, I got no money in the bank, and I found out my son has cancer. That's what James said do. Because it matures our faith. It shows us our faith in Christ. I look back at some of the things that in my life that have occurred. And I remember uh, Karen and I hadn't been married long, and I worked at a bus plant um, and on, in IT and worked the 4 to 12 shift. And I'd worked there for four years. And just like aircraft industry, sometimes the bus industry takes a, a nosedive. Man, I always had great reviews and great. I made it through three layoffs, and then I come in the, the Wednesday before we're about to be off on Thanksgiving and I go to the time clock and ready to punch in and my card's not there. Let me tell you, if you go to the time clock and your card's not there, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. And these two ladies that I had talked to, I mean, I'd said hello to them because their desk was right there for four years, wouldn't even look at me. And I went and I went, well, that's a bad sign, wouldn't you say? And they didn't say anything. I went, 
it's okay. This kind of stuff happens, right? Don't, I don't have leprosy or something now. I just got, I'm getting laid off. Go back, my boss is all, he's back there crying. He's a Christian man. I'm sorry. And I'm not, I'm holding it together real well. It's the worst time in the world to look for a job is right before Thanksgiving, that holiday season. And I've got a wife and this new little beautiful baby. And I get in the car and I am freaking out. Because I got enough money to make it about four days. My response was not joy to God. Now looking back, I can see what God had in store. And within two weeks, there was a much, there was a job where my faith got challenged every day. There was a job that I made twice the amount of money. There was a job that God had waiting for me, but what he was looking for was how am I going to respond to not having this one? And I didn't respond very well. And that was a revealing of my condition to me with the obligation to change it. The obligation to change that behavior. The opportunity to change my behavior. See, these tests are going to come. Now, one of the things that we need to make sure we don't, we, we never confuse. Don't confuse the consequences of sin with a t- trial or a test that God will put in your life. They should never be confused. God allows these tests and these trials to come, but these are not in the form of consequences to sin. Let me give you an example. Had a man come into the office uh, some while back, and this was ex- the exact conversation. He had lost all of his check. He said, I'm here today to see if you will help me with uh, with some money. I need to pay, uh, I need to buy groceries for my kids. It's like the third of the month. And I, I said, well, you get this check. What happened to your paycheck? Because he said he gets paid on the first. I, he said, I went and bought drugs. I smoked up the drugs. And then I took the balance of my check and I went to the casino uh, to try to make my money back because I knew my wife would be mad because I spent half of it on drugs and I lost it all. And I can't buy groceries and pay bills for my family this month. I know this is a test that God's putting me through. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. God didn't have anything to do with this. This is a consequence of sinful behavior in your life. God is allowing you to experience the consequences of your sin. So a trial or a test from God to develop your faith should not be confused with a consequence of sin. Does that make sense? Now, a consequence of sin, if I have a child that's just totally out of control and I've brought them up the best I know how and I've taught them God's ways and sometimes it just happens through no fault whatsoever of the parent that a child just drops off the deep end and goes crazy and brings all this, this, these sinful, con- somebody else's sin can be a trial and the consequences of someone else's sin can be a trial in your life. I've seen child after child whose sinful behavior have brought trials into the parent's life. Somebody just popped into your brain right there. See, our sin will have consequences to us and may bring trials to others. But we should never confuse 
God's testing and trials with consequences to sinful behavior in our own life. If you sin, if, if, if I go out Saturday night and I get drunk and I get, go through a police barricade and I get arrested for DUI and I'm sitting in jail, which this has really happened with a person, not me, um, and they said, I, I'm talking to them in the jail and it's like, I know God is letting me go through this. T-. No, 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 no. No, you're in jail because you got drunk and drove and got caught by the popo. Not because of a testing of faith that God is trying to bring about. Now, your wife is the one who has to come up with bail money. She's going through the trial. She's going through the test. And sometimes that makes people really mad when you say that. God has nothing to do with this. But God brings tests and trials into your life. The consequences of sin are, are ours. Um, let's look at the next word quickly. Steadfast, did you see that? Anytime you, you see Dr. Boswell or I or anybody up here preaching go, you know what we're doing? We're looking at that ginormous clock up there with big red letters on it. It's got letters. If you've never seen it, some of you have never been down this far, uh, if, you can, there's big red letters like that, numbers, 1148, plenty of time. Steadfastness. The next thing he says there is steadfastness. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Go ahead and hit it again there. And let your steadfast, let this steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the joy that we embrace because of the trials and tests that come into our lives bring spiritual maturity. And, and what this word means is a patient continuance, patiently continuing, steadfastness. That's what it is, a patient continuance. I'm going to keep going no matter what happens. I'm not going to turn my back on my faith no matter what happens. I'm going to continue to press forward toward the prize no matter what happens because I know if I'm living a life that it lines up with the Bible and I do my very best to be, I'm, as a Christian, I'm going to have these trials and tests to reveal my faith and I want to patiently continue in my walk with Christ, enduring till the end. That's what this is a picture of. And this endurance leads to spiritual maturity. This steadfastness. Do you know somebody in your life that, that's just the same? You can count on no matter what. That was my uncle Ernest down in, um, Ernest Harper lived in Star City, Arkansas. And I've told you about him before. He's the guy who had 35,000 chickens and uh, layers and we gathered eggs and we cut hay and we worked on tractors and he just worked. That man was the most patiently continuing person I've ever met in my life. That man was steadfast in his work, in his family, in his faith. Patiently continuing, enduring until the end, steadfast, even though a trial may come that's totally outside of your control, he would embrace it with joy, just James said, do. Patiently continuing. So, joyful 
joyfully embracing trials in our lives. See, I don't know what you came in here with this morning. I know if you're a Christian, you're going to have tests and you're going to have trials. That's what it says. Maybe through no fault of your own. Maybe through fault of others, God is allowing tests and trials to come into your life. I guess the question is, as these tests and trials come, as you're enduring these, have you really embraced them with joy and are you joyful about it? Not because I'm happy I lost my job or I'm happy because something tragic has happened, but, cause, but I'm joyful because I'm excited about what God can do with this and how my faith is going to mature because of it. See, I don't know what you came in with this morning. I know tons of times, though, we walk into church and we, we have these pains and these hurts. We have this uneasiness about us sometimes. And in a room full of people where we should feel the most comfortable, sometimes we feel the most guarded. Sometimes in this room where people who say they love us the most, we, we have our shield up. And we don't want anybody to know that we have something tragic going on in our life right now. I know uh, I and some of the people I work with, Gail, uh, we, we have a hard time asking for help when we have things in our lives. You know, we're men. We can power through it. And, and we don't want to be show a sign of weakness. Well, what does James say later? He said, hey, confess these things, these sins and these trials and these hardships to one, one to another. You know what? We need to share with each other. We need to pray for the, the joy. Help me to see the joy in this trial. And you may have come in here this morning with some devastating news. You may have just realized last night sitting at the kitchen table, man, I, I, my money ran out before my bills did. You may have got a call from a child last night or, or you're praying last night about a kid that, that you've had that maybe even being an adult but has not accepted Christ and you are terrified for their eternal uh, destination. You may be terrified about their salvation. Whatever trial it is you've brought in, let me assure you something. Whatever, thing, whatever it is that you've brought in here this morning, you are not alone. You didn't walk in here alone with a trial, with a test that you're going through. Did you embrace it with joy because you're looking forward to see how God is going to reveal the condition of your faith? Is, is your faith being tested? And if so, how are you responding to it? How are you responding to it? James goes totally against how we normally respond to trial he said consider it pure joy when these trials come of various kinds because they lead to this steadfastness this testing of your faith produces steadfastness patient continuance and this brings this complete faith these things come so we can grow so our musicians are going to come this morning and here's what I want you to do they're going to lead us in this time, and we're going to stand, and 
have this invitation time. See, James was talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And you may not be a believer this morning. You may have never accepted Christ in your life. You, you may have never accepted the free gift of salvation that Christ has, has paid for you. You may be out there trying to do it on your own. You may be out there not knowing what's, what tomorrow brings and having nothing to grab hold to but your own strength. See, everybody in this room is a sinner. And everybody in this room has an eternal destination. And it's only through the blood of Christ, only through the sacrifice and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we can experience heaven and be there with him forever and ever and ever and ever because of the blood of Christ. Without that, there is no other way to heaven. Is that you today? If we ask the question, do you know where you're going to die? When you die, where are you going to go? And the answer is anything but absolutely I do because of the blood of Jesus. You need to speak with us this morning. We want to tell you about this love that Christ has for you. But here's what else we're going to do this morning. Gail and I are going to be down here at the front. And there's people who, who are believers who have come in here this morning with trials and tests that they're going through this morning. That is such a burden and such a weight on you this morning that sometimes you feel as though you can barely breathe. You walked in with a weight around your neck because of a, a testing of your faith that's happening. Something that's going on that God is allowing through no fault of your own. And it's holding you down this morning and you've not embraced it joyfully to see how God is going to test, uh, reveal your faith. And here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to stand and sing, and Gail and I are going to be down here. And all I want you to do is come down to us. If that's you, you've got this test, you've got this trial, this thing. You just come down, and, and this is all I want you to say. We don't want to hear about it. We don't want to hear about your test. We don't want to hear about your trial. All I want you to do is tell us, I'm going through a trial this morning. And then invite you to just pray and ask God to help you embrace that with pure joy as you battle through this. What will people think? Well, they're going to think you came down here and told one of us, I'm going through a trial. And if you see somebody come down here, you should pray for them because they're going through a trial. And they need your encouragement. What they don't need is you becoming judgmental and going, oh, I know what she did. No, no, no. They need your prayers. They need your encouragement. They don't need you wondering what's going on in their life. They need you to be lifting them up in prayer. That's you this morning. The body of believers. Will you come down here this morning and just say, I'm going through a trial. Don't tell us what it is. I'm going through a trial. And then pray and ask God to help you embrace it with joy because of how he's going to reveal your faith. I'm going to pray and then we're going to come. And uh, I ask you to respond as God would direct you. Father, Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. 
Emanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Every Sunday morning, Emanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 9.30 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship setting in a casual and relaxed atmosphere. Our second worship service begins at 10.50 a.m. in our worship center and is led by the Emanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for children and adults of all ages are provided at 9.30 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com. 